everyone. Welcome back to another episode of WN Movie Talk Podcast, formerly known as We Need to Talk About Movies Podcast. I'm Trevor, and I'm joined once again by my brother, Robin. Hello, Robin. Hello. How's it going? All right? That was my posh voice today. I, today, <laughs> I am pretending I'm from the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> 1950s BBC. Mr. Chumley Warner. Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, all good, all good, all good. Are you Okay. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all, sir. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and this this week we are talking about it was originally going to be just the one movie and but then we thought, oh, we'll just as well talk about another movie associated with it. So we've watched two movies, haven't we, for this? Yes, we have. We've done our homework. Yeah, both of which are called The Lady Killers. So the first is the Ealing Comedy 1955 Lady Killers, which I thought was black and white, but it's, this one was colour. I had it in colour. So whether it's been painted or what? Was yours colour or black and white? No, it was colour. Yeah. I watched the same DVD I've always watched. I've had it for years. I must forget that it's colour. I've had it for about 15 years or so, I should think. But it's been a favourite of mine for a long time, The Lady Killers. I've always loved it. And then the Coen brothers remade it years later, 2004, was it? I believe so, something like that. Always been a big Coen brothers fan as well. So we thought, let's watch that and talk about the both. But So that's what we're going to do in a bit. It's exciting. Exciting. But, uh, not quite yet, Robin. Not quite yet. Um, so, yeah, next week we're going to be reviewing uh, an audience recommendation, listeners' recommendations. So if you've got any films that you would love to hear us talking about and reviewing to an extent, um, <laughs> then, yeah, you can email us at wnmovietalk at gmail.com. That's wnmovietalk at gmail.com. Hmm. Um, and also, Excellent. also, we've got loads of new listeners and that lately. Our podcast is sort of taking off since the name change. So if you are out there and you are listening and you are enjoying us, please feel free to come and follow us on Facebook and let us know you're about. You can comment on all our posts that we put up. But also, please, if you, if you can, on your pop, whatever you're listening to us on, on your podcast site, if you can rate us or review us, then please, yeah, give us a rating and help boost our views and get us to more people. That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it, Rob? It would. It'd be very nice, actually. Thank you very much. Yeah. I might have rated us already. How do you spell shite? Because I don't think I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, Robin, have you watched any films this week? Well, Trev, it's funny you should say that because, yes, I have. I've watched two additional movies this week and they were um nowhere boy which is a chronicle of the early life of john lennon right in the 1950s is that a documentary or no 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 it's film 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 with actors it's directed by sam taylor johnson and it stars aaron taylor johnson wait a minute hang on a minute i smell something fishy here she got her son on it or something (laughs) that's all a bit in-house isn't it was it any good though robin it actually was yeah i actually really enjoyed it yeah there was some good bits in it there was some funny bits in it the music was good aaron taylor johnson played john lennon well and it it just brought to light sort of the sadness of his early life to be honest Mm. and you can sort of see why he was quite um larry at times did he live with his auntie or something he did that's right yeah and Mm. um he didn't see his mum since he was a wee baby never met never knew his dad and didn't his auntie get run didn't she die didn't she get no, run his, over his mum got run over ah right right 
so he started to according to the film anyway he started to kind of get to know his mum again and then his mum and auntie sort of rebuilt their relationship and then she got knocked down and killed yeah uh, yeah so and that was one of the things that pulled um john lennon and paul mccartney closer together was the fact that they both lost their mums mm. so it was it it was sad in places and um it finished at the point where he's about to disappear off he's about to head off with the beatles to germany oh, to right. start his career it's all about the early days yeah yeah, so. very early days, very early days. More about his family relationships and, and, and why John Lennon was John Lennon. Yeah, I do like it, um, sort of like a music biography. Um, there's been mm. a few good ones. Uh, what's the one about the Joy Division singer? Have you seen that? Um, no, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to have to Google it now. Hang on. Okay, well, whilst you're Googling, um, Rocket Man's a good one. Uh, the Elton John one, did you like that? I I refuse to watch it. I refuse to watch it because why he's produced that like you've waited years for the Freddie Mercury film to come out. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Yeah. And then within months of that being announced, he's like, I'm doing one. I'm doing one. Everyone look at me. Everyone talk about me. You know, he's like a big spoiled shit. Um, that's how I think of him. And I want a Christmas advert made all about me. That's how I feel about him. Yeah, I know. I have no interest. You're not a fan of Elton John, then, are you? No, I'm afraid not. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking from that. Uh, the film I was on about was Control. Um, all about, okay. all about uh, the Joy Division. Nope, don't know that one. Ian Curtis, sort of about his his rise to fame and his dealing with epilepsy and depression, and it, really good. Yeah, um, mm. but I love that sort of film. I've got another one called Good Vibrations, which is all about a shop called Good Vibrations in Northern Ireland. It's a true story, all about a record shop during all the troubles. Anyway, Bohemian Rhapsody. Did you like that? Then? I don't know if I did or not. I don't. Mm. There's some good bits in it, and I like the end. I like how it ends at Live Aid, but yeah. I think. When you look at the order of things that happen, he didn't actually find out he had AIDS until after Live Aid. Mm. And also, they make him out to be the one who's like gone off and, oh, he's gone on his own and the band's breaking up because of him and all this. When in real life, both Roger Taylor... Roger Taylor was the first person to go off on a solo career and then Brian May went off after him and then Freddie Mercury. So he's actually the third in line to go off. You know, so it's... They bend truths, don't they, in these films and put them into yep. their own order. And so, so I've got to tell you this now, actually, because, you know, I like to drop in my celebrity moments. Mm. The wife and I went to, years ago now, uh, to go and see Prince at the O2. Oh, I remember you went, yeah. And um, it was awesome. And um, whilst we were there, we were sort of walking around at the, just waiting beforehand. We walked past the VIP lounge and it was really quite quiet in there and they said they as we walked past they said do you two want tickets to the vip lounge we were like well how much is that they said no you just have the tickets you can just go in and we were like all right then so we took the tickets and just walked in and we went and sat down and at the table next to brian may and his friends and i was like that's brian may to start with because i didn't know if it was brian may or anita dobson because he was facing (laughs) the other way and then he turned around and i still didn't know but i guessed (laughs) Uh, it was probably Brian May. No, it was Brian May. But yeah, so Brian May, there you go. That was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, did you speak to him? Hell no. And then um, and then during the Prince concert, we were like eight rows um, from the from the stage. So we were quite close. But the, b- between us and the seventh row was a walkway where the band actually walked past. 
Yeah. So you could, you could literally just, you know, put your hand out and, and get beaten up by a bouncer if you wanted. So we didn't. And um, so as they go past, the band go up on stage and they start playing Prince's and there. We're like, well, where's Prince? Where's Prince? And then suddenly about five or six huge bouncers come past, bodyguards. They come past and um, they're wheeling out a little box. It was Prince in it. With Prince in it. Because <laughs> he's just too wee. He's too wee. <laughs> And it came, it came past and, it's, and we were like, I was like, that's Prince, that's Prince in there, that's Prince. And then it kind of, he goes off, they wheeled him in through the, in the box and obviously he couldn't see who it was. And then he came up on stage and away he went. <laughs> he was freaking awesome. It was an amazing yeah, concert. Bet. Bet. It was absolutely mind blowing. But yeah, so those are my uh, my two celebrity moments, Prince in a box and um, Brian May. He's made a couple of music films, isn't he? Prince, he made... Um yeah i mean you talk about biographies purple rain was a sort of uh biography of his sort of early years his life in theory and um so was graffiti bridge but that was the worst well it wasn't it was awful is it but yeah yeah, absolutely painful purple rain's really good and i really enjoyed under the cherry moon but i was a prince fan so i i enjoyed the album and weirdly which brings it all around into a perfect little loop the young girl that Prince falls in love with, been under the cherry moon, is Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh, right. And she's the aunt in uh, The Nowhere Boy with John Lennon. Well, would you Adam and Eve it? I know, right? So you see what I did there? I told my story, went all the way around in a circle, came right back to Nowhere Boy, which was the first film that I watched. And the second, oh, yeah. one, uh, <laughs> the second one was Greed. Um, which oh, I, is... I just started watching that with Steve Coogan. That was Steve the Coogan, only yeah. film I, I start. I watched the first twenty minutes and I never got put it back on because the kids all come in and. All right. Well, I, I guess then I won't give it away because also it's fairly new out, so people yeah. might want to watch it and it's like find out in the top it's, ten it's on Netflix at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So um, I won't give too much away about that, but I enjoyed it, and it was Steve Coogan, you know, mucking about funny sort of thing but actually it had quite a quite a meaningful message about you know because it's a satire about the world of the super rich yeah and sort of based loosely on uh, sir philip green he owned top shop top man Miss selfridge that's it yeah that's it and so uh, swindled everyone out of their money didn't he yeah yeah there was a good cast in it from what i saw yeah yeah it was it was a good yeah it's a very good film um so i'm not going to say any more than that because i don't want to spoil it but yeah give it a go finish it yeah, finish it. Yeah, I will finish it at some point. Excellent. Cool. Yeah, so this week we are going to be talking about the Lady Killers. And as I said, at first it was 19, the 1955 version was the, the version I suggested because this is our obscure week. Oh. So it's like a film that's either not everyone knows. And I, I thought this week I'd go for an older film that not everyone knows, but I think you should have. Um, and then when we sort of reviewing it, we're both sort of, mentioned the Cohen brothers version and thought well let's just watch that as well so absolutely yeah we did so i've been over onto facebook and i posted up because my mum introduced me to this film it's your mum as well robin it's got the same yeah, i was mum, gonna say <laughs> <coughs> different dads <laughs> well because the postman had different shifts <laughs> yes it is my mother too but she never introduced me to this film no which i always used to love films so she'd always say oh there's a Film on, yeah, you should watch this. I, I love I love films too, but she never spoke to me. <laughs> Don't get jealous, Robin. Oh, she used to just say, fack off out. 
<laughs> so I, she, anyway, she suggested this film to me. And then yesterday I spoke to mum on the phone. And I was like, we're mobbing a review in the Lady Killers this week. She's like, what's that then? I was like, that's a f- film you went, <laughs> you've seen the Lady Killers. No, what's, who's in that? And I was like, you told me about it. So I always remember it being a film that my mum put me onto. And she can't even remember it. That's, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love but, that. The question I put to the audience was, what older films from way before your time have your parents put you onto that have since become favourites of yours? Mm-hmm. And Gren Kiapra says, Captain's Courageous, starring Spencer Tracy. Bit of a tearjerker. Is it? Alan Day said, all the old World War Two films, like Ice Cold in Alex, Reach for the Sky, etc., etc. Uh, yeah, Reach for, the St- Reach for the Sky is the one I remember. That, that's the one that... Um, mm. That and Dan Busters. Yep. Uh, Rob Jones said, my grandpa would put on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when I was little, and it's still my favourite film of all time. Jack Stokes says, 1975's The Rocky Horror Picture Show was always a favourite of mine. Yeah. I would have never known it existed if it weren't for my parents. And he said, just to give you some context, I was born in 97. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, the first time I ever watched that, I remember going home, I was drunk. And um, I I rolled on in, mum and dad sitting in the living room. And I said, I just watched The Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think I'm going to be a transvestite from now on <laughs> and then sort of staggered off again, which is probably why they never recommended films to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, speaking of Rocky Horror Picture Show, lost meatloaf the other day, didn't we? Oh, yes. Yeah, actually we did. Yeah, yeah we did. And um, apparently being in a lot of films had meatloaf, but I can only yeah. remember it. I can only think of him in two and that would be Rocky Horror Picture Show. The other one was Fight Club. Yeah. Because he... He plays the, the, the guy in that, doesn't he? Um, With the boobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those are the only two films, but apparently he's been in a lot of films. Yeah, I saw a documentary about it the other night, and he's been in like 50-odd films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's bit parts. Maybe he plays himself occasionally and things yeah, like that in films. Yeah. Uh, Damien Clegg said, My dad always watched Clint Eastwood movies, and I would always complain about them. And then about after five minutes, I'd be engrossed in them. Which ones? Which ones are you talking about there? That'd be really interesting to get into a bit of Clint Eastwood. Uh, Jason Paris, this week, he didn't say Flash Gordon. What? He says, Wages of Feet with Yves Montland. What a film. Um, Wages of Feet? Feet, feet, F-E-A-T. I, I have no idea. And is that rages as in rrr, or wages as in money? Uh, do you think he's meant to have written Wages of Fear? I don't know. Is it a film? Wages of Fear, 1953 film. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's what he means. He means Wages of Fear, not Wages of Feet. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then he says, any film with Peter Wingard in is a win. I don't know who Peter Wingard is. I don't know who Peter Wingard is either. Is he in uh, Flash Gordon by any chance? <laughs> Just, just googled him it just oh, yeah. he looks a little bit like um <laughs> what, what sort of movie was he in in the yeah, 70s exactly yeah. yeah he does look like a bit of a porn star there doesn't he uh let's have a look then what did it what was he in then and yes he he was in flash gordon he, wingard played the masked character cletus clitus in the film flash gordon flash gordon that's why he said it flash gordon and he's, yeah. he's done that thing where he sneakily got round to flash gordon without mentioning it. um and then i did ask the same question over on instagram timoy ticket said i'm quite partial to the old casablanca or any humphrey bogart high noon 
that's a Western, Trev. You won't know it. But I've been, like I say, I've watched a few Westerns now. Um, but then because we were doing Lady Killers, which is a remake, mm. I've also asked the question. We've got two questions this week. And I said, remakes of classic films that actually worked. Go. Alison Roof said, A Star is Born. Lady Gaga remake was excellent, in my honest opinion. Yep, yep. I enjoyed that one as much as I enjoyed the first with Chris, 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 Chris Christopherson. The third one. What? The Chris Christopherson one, I think, was the third version. Was it the third version or the second version? I think there's four versions. Is there four? It's been remade four times. In 1951, a television adaptation with Kathleen Crowley and Conrad Nigel. 1954, Judy Garland and James Mason. Okay. 1976, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. Yep. And 2018, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, and I thought it was good. And I like the I like the change of the... The ending as well in the in the updated one, I think that that worked well. That was quite in, that that made it that made it quite sad. Is that where he pisses himself? Yeah, but then yeah, and then yeah. Was that right. in the original? No, I don't know if he actually did piss himself. Glenn Capra says the thing, nineteen eighty one, John Carpenter's remake of the thing from another world from nineteen fifty one. Oh yeah. Uh, Simon Viles says the fly and true grit for me. I I no word of a lie. I've just written down the fly. Yeah. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And True Grit, well, that's another Coen Brothers film, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. And that's one of, I think they've only made two remakes. And one we're going to talk about tonight, and the other one is True Grit. Mm. Yeah, and this being a, their first remake, when I was watching the original Lady Killers, I can completely see, you know, why they would have liked to remake it. Because it's once everything starts going wrong and unraveling, it sort of unravels quickly, doesn't it? And. Yep. Escalates. Uh, it's exactly the sort of thing that they always uh, do yeah, in their films. But, but they do it in a way that's, you know, because I, again, I, I've, over the weeks I've already complained about the 40 Towers sort of idea where things just <laughs> escalate and but ridiculous decisions are made. And um, so this one did do that escalation thing, but it, it didn't frustrate me watching it. I actually just really enjoyed it. But that's going way into the film, isn't it? I mean, God, so. <laughs> so The Lady Killers, 1955. Mm. And it stars Alec Guinness and Peter Sellers. It's one of Peter Sellers' first roles. Yes, actually. Um, I, I, I heard about that because uh, didn't the director wasn't the director a fan of his from the Goon the Goon Show? It could well have been. Yeah, possibly was. So we got Alec Guinness as Professor Marcus, Peter Sellers as Harry, Cecil Parker as the Colonel Claude. Danny Green as One Round, the uh, sort they're of... pretty stupid guy. Yeah, and Herbert Lom as Louis. And they're like criminals who are following Alec Guinness's plan to rent a room off this old lady, Mrs. Wilberforce, and that she is part of their plan to steal money from King's Cross Station next door to her house. Uh, she's part of the plan to bring the money to them so they don't have to get seen handling the money. Which I watching it this time i was like they've driven off with the money they take it to the station where everyone the police and that all going why didn't they just take it back to her house uh, i don't know i think <laughs> I, I don't know it's a really good question but i guess it was because they wanted to throw them throw them off the scent yeah it could because have if they got chased they'd be caught with it in the car with them yeah, so they swap they, it into a van where Peter Sellers is dressed up as like a someone who works at the train station. And then he puts it with the luggage 
where the train has just pulled up with all the luggage coming off of yeah, the train. He for her to collect. So it looks like it's professor. come from somewhere else and then she goes along to pick it up. Yeah. So it's a big it's a big plan. A lot could go wrong. But actually it works quite well up until that point, doesn't it? The plan does work well up until that point. But yeah, this uh, it's always been one of those films that I always remember and I think from the beginning, the first scene is her going in the police station, isn't it? And she's talking about aliens. And yeah, UFOs, wasn't it? And her friend. The policemen, they obviously get her in all the time talking about different stuff. And they're like, oh, Yeah, God. she is again. But it, it's that beautiful scene of London. And the house looks amazing, doesn't it? Looking over that train track off that bridge. The house is all wonky and crooked, isn't it? Oh, yeah. everything's the crooked. There's two rooms of the house have been <laughs> bomb damaged. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's good. I like the, 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 the sort of creepy element at the start. With um, Well, this is it. When it, That's what I was going to say. First of all, I was going to say, I just love how London used to be. And she's walking down this street and everyone's like, good morning, Mrs. Wilberforce. Hello, Mrs. Wilberforce. And it's like a real sense of community. You'd never get that in London now, would you? You'd never walk. No, you. I bet no one in London really knows their neighbours anymore. But yeah, as soon as you see, she's put an advert up in a, in a, a news agent's, isn't she? She's renting a room. Yes. And you just see the silhouette of... Uh, Alec Guinness. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Guinness. I know, I keep wanting to call him Obi-Wan as well, which is, you know... Slightly... I bet he hates that, doesn't he? His massive Well, I don't think he wants career. to too much now. No, but his massive cause... career he's had and everyone's like, Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan out of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. You see his silhouette, don't you, with his hat and then yeah. that whole sequence where he's following her back to the house and yeah. walking around the house and you see his silhouette all the time from yeah. inside. And it's creepy. He comes up to the door and they do match that up, the door one, the door shadow, don't they? They do match that up in the in the Coen Brothers film, mm. the door, the silhouette of the door. Yeah. They don't. They don't kind of intensify it in the same way, do they? As uh... no, it's really well done in this. There were some really nice shots actually in that opening sequence. I thought. So it's directed by a chap called uh, Alexander McKendrick. Um, I don't know what else he's done. Probably a lot of the Ealing comedies. Sweet smell of success. He wrote that for Burt Cat Lancaster and Tony Curtis. He also wrote The Man in the White Suit, which is an Alec. Guinness film, isn't it? Another Alec Guinness, another Ealing comedy. Isn't so it? I think he probably had yeah. Alec Guinness in mind. Whiskey Galore's one of his. That's a, that's a fairly relatively well-known film, isn't it? That I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to talk about in this was the writer, because the writer of the Lady Killers, William Rose, he apparently dreamt this film in most of its entirety, and he sort of wrote most of it, but couldn't write the ending, and then they hired someone else to help him write the screenplay and then they fell out and William Rose walked away and then Jimmy Connor come up with the ending. So I don't know how much of the ending. Well, and the Uh, interesting thing about that as well is William Rose is um, American. Oh, is he? Yeah. He was um, born in Jefferson City, Missouri, USA. Wow. But, I mean, Britain, England did have a sort of, you know, they made some great films back then, didn't they? Yeah, and I don't see you why know, there was... Ealing, I mean, and again, I, I think the thing with films like this, and it certainly was the case with this one, is that they don't have the budgets, the special effects of all the things that films can fall back on these days. So that to be a good film, it just simply had to have a good story. It just had to have good performances. It had to, it had to work. Yeah. Otherwise, they didn't have anything. You know, I mean, and that's true of today as well, but you can kind of 
fluff it up with big special effects and yeah um to try and hide away from the fact that it's a shite story exactly yeah line. and there are some great performances alec guinness in this is a touch of genius and he's real creepy and yes real sort of his teeth yeah well he he read the screenplay and he said are you sure this wasn't written for alistair sim um who you may you may have seen him in old films i watched him this year as scrooge the old um 1950s version of Scrooge. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And so Alec Guinness based this performance on Alistair Sim because it's who he put it in mind of. So that's why he's got the teeth. And, uh, ah. But they're all good. I mean, One Round is just... <laughs> is his name One Round? It's yes. sort of the big yep. oafish yeah, one. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because that's a boxing term, isn't it? (laughs) Is it because he got knocked out in one round, which is why he's a bit slow? Or is it because he knocked everyone else out? I imagine it's the second. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then you've got um, Herbert Lom as Louis. I thought he was really good. When he knocks at the door, he just slinks into the shadow, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He he plays it really well. Who is this? It's interesting with him because I was was looking at him thinking, I know him from uh, somewhere else. I know him from a film somewhere else in his career and it was it was really bugging me with peter and sellers it, isn't it and then it was yeah exactly he was in um he was uh in pink panther isn't he the, like the superintendent or something isn't he the chief yeah so herbert lom was commissioner dreyfus in the um pink panther film but he's like really sort of quite dark in this isn't he like, yes got a, yeah well he's younger in this sinister he? presence isn't and this he? is the difference i think between the two films the first half of this film uh the 1955 version um, you just had to kind of fill the gaps in for who these characters were. There was a lot of inference. Yeah, that, there was, there? it's all mystery. Yeah, it, you know, you had to infer who they were, whether they were genuinely, whether he really was a colonel, whether he really was a professor, what they'd done previously. And I got the impression yeah. that they were a skilled team that had done jobs before and had worked together a little bit. Yeah. Um, they all had their certain roles and they'd done things, you know, they they've pulled, they get pulled in together at times when they've got a plan. Apart from, obviously, um, Herbert Lom, because he says it's the first time he's worked with them. But then... Yeah, and he d- he wanted them all vouched for. Sort of yes, thing, exactly. He? But then the second film, um, the Coen brothers spend the first half of that film filling out their backstories a little bit, don't they? You see them in their different yeah. roles outside of the, the story itself, don't you? You know, um, one round's American footballer. Is he called one round in the second film? I don't know. No, he's called Lump or something. Yeah, Lump, yeah. Yeah, and then the Colonel is a sort of a mixture between the Colonel in this and the Herbert Lom character in the Coen Brothers film, isn't he? He's the, the sort of oriental guy. and He doesn't say anything, looks really stern, got a fastidious little moustache. Yes, he's called, he's called the General, isn't oh, he? Oh, the General, yeah. I th- And I think, yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think what they've done in the, the second film is they've made the... They've made the cast a little bit more diverse, haven't they? Yeah. And it, I, it's, it's good. It, and I think it works well. I think the general's quite a good character in the second one too because he doesn't say much. Yeah. And, in this know, one, the again, general or the colonel, Cecil Parker, is really sort of like a... You can't see how he fits in this gang, really, can you? Because he's quite sort of well-to-do no, and polite. And yeah, that. but he... So he's obviously that sort of con man, isn't he? Mm. Who plays the... You know, he, he can sort of like... He can roll into any place because he's a colonel and he can play the role and, you yeah. know, he's a trustworthy character, isn't he? In, in theory, in his character that he plays. And, oh, yes, I'm a colonel and I've, you know, I've seen things and I've been to war and, you know, I'm a jolly good chap and all of these things. <laughs> Whereas, obviously, the general's a slightly different character to that, which is probably why there was a slight crossover with him and... Garth Pancake, 
J.K. Simmons because I thought he was more like the Colonel. Yeah, that's who. Yeah, he's more like the Colonel, but they've given the sort of the the name, the army name, so the general. The, yeah. yeah. So there's a few sort of mixtures like that, but yeah, I mean Herbert Lom is is really good in the first one. Yeah, he strikes me as the professional amongst them. He's the real gangster, isn't he? I mean, he dresses like a gangster. He looks like a he looks the part. Yeah, and he's you know he doesn't trust anyone. And, He's playing that really well. And you've got Peter Sellers is more, he's the sort of the Jack the Lad, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, the younger chap who's... <laughs> Just a bit yeah. like a teddy yeah. boy. When she, the, the the birds escaped and she's like, oh, could you give me a hand to get it? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good with the birds, me. <laughs> <laughs> he does, yeah, that's right, yeah. He's got, he's got and, some good uh, lines. But he said this was like, <laughs> this was a dream come true for him because not only was it like it's his first film role, Alec Guinness sort of playing all the characters that he plays in the past was like his, Peter Sellers' his idol. Yeah. So for him to work on set with him and to see how he works and so, Yeah, so it, it probably, it must have been quite intimidating in certain ways, you know, and quite exciting for him, definitely. Yeah. I did read, um, I read the um, biography of Peter Sellers. Mm. He was damaged goods, really. You know, he's brought up in a way that he's very arrogant person and very, yeah. quite self-centred quite self-obsessed and um you see this side of him on screen where he's just funny and but the real peter sellers is a bit bit of an arsehole by all accounts Mm. you know he made a a lot of people he made hard work for them you know yeah uh people around him family friends film crews that he worked with you know film directors and that but um you often find that, don't you? There's some sort of genius involved, and then they're like, "Yeah, they're they just... actually, in reality, they struggle with not being in front of the camera or not being on stage or yeah, not being the centre of attention." So when when the camera goes off, they drop off, don't they? And they crash. Yeah, yeah. And they, that's when they drink, and that's when they do their drugs, and that's when they, you know, they have the de- bouts of depression and things, yeah. isn't it? Not knowing who they are. It's almost like two people, isn't it? I guess. The, what you know the persona on stage the funny guy that he was and then when he's off stage he's probably a miserable bastard because he he doesn't he doesn't want to do the funny stuff whereas you get the idea of alec guinness that he was a bit more level-headed when you see him like yeah i think he was yeah more of a quite Shakes- handled his fame didn't he yeah know? more of a shakespearean actor who just enjoyed playing his trade yeah and and i guess you know because obviously his character is played by tom hanks who again by that point in his career was a very successful actor who'd done a lot of different roles and Oscar worthy. Yeah. So I think I think Tom Hanks in that sense was a good replacement for him. You know, they've picked out yeah. someone who's. A, I don't who's think a, it's a bad cast in the the Cohen Brothers remake. No, no, like, not at all. Um, they have modernised it. I love the old woman in that. You know. Yeah, but um, she's not. I, I think that's the. I think that's the difference between the two films. I actually the. the Louisa Wilberforce in the first one, yeah, um, played by Katie Johnson, and she, I believe, had been in a lot of. Well, she was old then, so she'd probably been in quite a few films before that. I would imagine there was something endearing about her, you know. Oh, hello, yeah. oh, gentlemen, oh, lovely. Let me make you a cup of tea. Whereas I think with the Coen Brothers film, the lady in that one, Irma P. Hall, who played Marva Munson, yeah, and and I think her her approach was she was a bit more stern. And a bit more, um, you know, oh, she was God, cold, God-fearing she? and, and yeah. you know, all of this stuff, wasn't it? You know, and quite, love, quite judgmental. Yeah, but I love the language. Like, 
That's the good thing. About, the thing that I love about the Coens is their use of language and yeah. dialect and yep. sort of they really because that their script would have been written word for word what you hear on the screen. Okay, you know, and they write accents and things when you read a Cohen screenplay. It's all there, and they don't stray at all from their script. Right, and I just think that her like the way she taught hibbity hobbity, you know, it's <laughs> I don't just remember great. her saying hibbity <laughs> Yeah, she does. Hey, listen to that hibbity hobbity music. Oh yeah, my wallet. Sorry, she does. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were just. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, what she says. <laughs> Uh, and then she does. playing it alongside <laughs> Tom Hanks's, you know, he's got that real condescending use of literature. It's too much. Oh, yeah. You know, there is too much of it through the film. It's like, oh, God, you can't say a fucking word. You can't say a sentence without it being... Flouncing it out massively. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did have a lot of dialogue, didn't he? Oh, he did, yeah, he did. <laughs> but it's good the, the way that the words play off each other. Um and then the J.K. Simmons character is, I think he's quite, he's all right. It gets a bit, the thing is with the Coen Brothers film, there's, I started enjoying it and then it started to flag a bit. I was like, you know, and then I was thinking, what is it? There's something not right about this film. And then I thought, thinking back to when we watched Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mm. and Michael Caine said, the reason it worked was because we didn't know it was funny when we were making it. Yeah. Whereas I was watching this thinking they look like they're having too much fun in these roles. Yeah, and they were. I think they're probably. It didn't work as a. It didn't work as a combination of actors. The first one does. They work. Yeah. They they feel like a team to an extent, but the second one felt like a group of actors that have been pulled in to do their bits. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks was very. It was the wordsmith and did all of that. And then um, the other one in in the film, who I just felt. Um, just didn't fit the film at all uh was uh marlon wayans yeah i mean yeah. he was uh gawain mcsam wasn't it and he was he i mean i i saw this on disney plus so it was a 16 plus rating and he's the reason why it was a 16 plus rating because of his his language yeah throughout the entire film and, and i did my, my son did watch it with me and we just kind of had to just keep going well it, 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 you know and then he died and it was like he's gone now It'll be all right now. This is a dialogue, and it it was, and it, it sort of, it just felt his 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 language just felt over the top, unnecessary. Yeah, like he was putting all of his his previous like funny dialogue things from other movies in it. But this is what I'm, I don't think he would have had that freedom in a Cohen right. Brothers script. Everything right. that he says would have been in their original script. Right. Okay. So they've I, put, they've obviously put that in there. They're trying to like. Just bring the variety of characters from our time. Yeah, know? yeah, and yeah. I just um, with again, the rap I mean, I'm being hip hop sort of. That's how they were talking. Yeah, it was, but it was over the top. But it was over the top because it was just like every other word, mm. and it just went, ah, oh, you know, just too much. And and it did sort of, it did in a sense spoil spoil it for me. Yeah, like the whole waffle scene, the scene in the waffle house. Well, that's just... meant to be one of the one of the best scenes from this film for some people, you know. And <laughs> it didn't work uh, for me. I was like, oh god, it's like it basically was trying to get the argument between them both. Cause yes, he sort of, and he's like, got to keep saying it. You bot, you motherfucking bitch, do the waffle house. Yeah, and then say it again. And then yeah, it, but that's like, what he was like god, throughout the whole said... film for me. It was just like a constant yeah. barrage of sort of. MF, MF, MFs. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't work as a cohesive unit, like like you say, the original film. Yeah, they felt like it, it felt a little bit more believable that these guys had been worked together and they do this sort of thing. Whereas this one, um, you know, why did the general, he had his own store, didn't he, at the start of the film? And why was he there? And, and then the American football bit was a little bit like, mm. and then the whole bit with a dog for Garth Pancake with the face mask yeah. and the films and the explosives, you know, did they need to explain that he was kind of like, yeah, they don't need to explain any of it. No, that's what I mean. And it was sort of like, that's what it, the first one for me, the first half of the first one in particular works so much better than the first half of the, of the Cohen brother version, because they just left it open yeah. for your interpretation. And, and they left mystery, which is kind of what you needed. Cause who were these people? Exactly. They're obviously up to no good, but, and what's their, st- you know, what are they about? What, what's it all about? What are they up to? And that's what was really good about the first one, because when you didn't know, you kind of, it, it, it gave them that extra layer of their character. It's almost like, you know, oh, who are they? The sinister sort of like uh, this underbelly, you know, they've, yeah. you know, what have they done previously? And you start imagining what watching, they've done. Watching them all arrive as well. It was like, reminded me because you know last week i said we should try and find films that link to the film we've watched previously yeah well this film there's a few things that i felt linked to last week's film and one was the fact that they keep at the beginning they all keep coming to her door and new characters are arriving yes yeah and you're like very much like clue that we watched last week absolutely yeah and then there's the scene where they draw straws and it all goes completely quiet and i was like we just watched that last week in Clue. Yeah, yeah. There was <laughs> an element of that, wasn't there? The, 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 I think, you know, that just... It, but again, that's probably because, I mean, in the in the Clue film, the, the characters worked well off each other's dialogue and they just, they meshed well together in a weird way, mm. didn't they, the characters? They, yeah. all sort of, they all sort of impacted off each other because none of them are the same character. And and I guess that's what you've got with this one, isn't it? You know, they're all different. They've all they've all got their different backgrounds. There was no. You felt like they were working together for the same goal. Whereas in the Coen Brothers film, they was all working against each other from the start. There was like rivalries yeah. and yeah, the the subtleties weren't there. I don't think. I don't think no. they. And I think that's possibly because they introduced more of the characters at the start, so you realised that they were incompetent and or exactly. Bit, you know, yeah, they was of, made. Out, you could tell from their each of their introductions that they were going to fuck up couldn't you yeah it was yeah you know? it, was, it was kind of written on the wall yeah uh, very much from the start whereas the 1955 version it's all going swimmingly they've got it all together they're listening to him they're posing as the musicians when every time the woman comes in the room but it all you know when the plan comes they've got it right except for yep. the only time that it uh starts to fail is where the woman is involved yep Whereas the woman really in the second film, she's not, apart from having the house that's relevant, she's not relevant to the plan. No, I mean, uh, she's... They fuck it up themselves. Whereas in this one, it's this old woman that's throwing the spanner in the works. Ultimately, it is one round that ballses it all up because he shuts his case in the door, doesn't he? He does, as they're on their way out. And (laughs) <laughs> you're almost there aren't they they're almost yeah the but they car. have that as well in the in the first instance don't they when they get the case when she picks the case up and she's coming back in the car and then she they stop because there's a that the, they drive past the um uh, it's frankie howard isn't it who's who's selling apples That's and right, the horse yeah, is eating yeah. his apples and that bit actually was really weird for me because 
there was him and then there was another guy from um yeah a little guy wasn't it I carry on the carry yeah, on films yeah. i can't think kenneth connor kenneth connor that's right yeah he was in it so there was two of them from the carry on films yeah and i suddenly went oh my god it's, a, it's turning into a carry on movie she gets back doesn't she the police she gets the police to bring the case in to the house yeah, yeah. and alec guinness and that going, oh my god like <laughs> you know the police are there with the case and then she gives Alec Guinness, here's your 10 shillings. The cab driver wouldn't take it. He said, he said he's going into another business for some reason. <laughs> Just all because of her and her interference. But, it, but that's, the, that's the, the good bit about it, isn't it? Her innocence and her sort of uh, naivety to the, uh, to the world that, that she's constantly reporting to the police. Yeah. You know, it's like happening all around her. She doesn't even see it. No. <laughs> yeah, she's always in there telling them about something that's trivial or... Or not yeah, real, and, yeah. Which yeah. pays perfectly into the, the the ending where they don't believe her. You keep the money, love. You know, and exactly, she's like, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but Peter Sellers and that when they're all talking about knocking her off, he's like, "Well, we got to do it." She, you know, she's put all them that cabbie and that market bloke out of business because <laughs> they're all watching. They just want that case to get back to the house. And, like, it's just hilarious because the, the colonel is on the phone. Oh, yeah. He's going mad. And he's, she's going back. She's going back. And then, the, but there's that scene where they drive past and the case full of money is on the doorstep of the police station. The police outside station. Well, she's inside in London. making a fuss. <laughs> and it is. And it's, you know, it, it's sort of, yeah, it's brilliant. And I, I, at that point, because I, I haven't seen this film before. So at that point, I'm thinking, where's this going now? Where's this going now? It's going <laughs> to. Clearly, it's escalating and it's going to go wrong because it's been going quite smoothly. But she's she's becoming more problematic. But yeah, and they start giving her advice when the police turn up at the door of things to say, what to say to them. You know, like tell them to go away and and you know um, they can't come in without a warrant. And she says, "You can't come in without a warrant." And he's like, "What?" I, what, what yeah, you, all what these you, lines what, what? are fed to her. <laughs> yeah, but then it very quickly switches to the right now we've got to bump her off. Yeah, and that whole sequence from there on in is so. For me, the first film felt like the two parts. The first part with the planning and stuff, I didn't kind of invest as much in that. But then once they started going down the route of, right, you know, we've got a killer, who's going to do it? Which one of us is mad enough to do it? Blah, blah, blah. Then I really just, I just got pulled right in. I was, I was, I was in on it. Yeah. I, was, I was invested completely. I then. did like, though, the, the build up for the robbery, the actual, the event itself. And the music was like quite sort of dramatic and yes big yeah. build up and then for the robbery no music and i love yep. that that yep. it's just silence and scuffling and yeah exactly yeah exactly that was it puts you in that moment doesn't it it was really it effective did. really good yeah. filmmaking yeah it was good i was gonna say they didn't rely on the this the second film relies on those quite crudely done jokes for example the ibs thing yeah it's irritable bowel it just went on and it was just too much yeah it's just unnecessarily it, yeah. unfunny and, and 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 likewise you know with um gawain yeah you know that it his his dialogue was un, unnecessarily over the top although they had diverse characters they then went to the extremes of those characters yeah. almost like yeah. almost like um cartoon characters of themselves it didn't they didn't feel like real people they felt like extreme yeah. versions of real people yeah it wasn't it wasn't realistic. Yeah. Was it? No. The scene where Tom Hanks and he's talking to her, and then the police turn up at the door. Yeah, and he's hiding under the bed. Hides under the bed. Yeah, and it's like she's laughing her head off. She'd be like, "What are you doing under?" You know. 
Yeah, but for yeah. her to find that funny and yeah, just and then for him to say, "Oh, sense. yeah, no, that didn't make sense." And so they all had that sort of extremes. Didn't it's all they? cheap gags that weren't really working. Right? Yeah, it was, and it, it relied more yeah. on that, like I said, with the IBS thing as well um, for Garf Pancake. Even down to like the sheriff, you know, it was quite. It was like that classic stereotypical sheriff that's always asleep and eats donuts and you know and all of those sorts of things wasn't it you know and they just yeah just it was extreme versions of it it's almost caricatures caricatures of, yeah. of, of them of, of themselves and that was another thing again about the two characters because um in the first one uh so the old ladies you know she just feels just genuinely like she's just trying to do the right thing for the right reasons at all times whereas in the second film uh which has now disappeared off my uh screen hang on a second i'll go back up because i need the name the lady's name whereas in the second film with um uh uh come on come on come on where is she here it is uh yeah in the second film with martha munson um you don't feel, even though she's like uh, Christian and, and sort of like very much into the gospel and the Bible, you don't feel that she does anything for the right reasons. Because even down to the donation that she does, what she's actually proud of is the fact that her name's in the, her exactly, name's reported. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then and, she says when they give her the money at the end, she says, why don't you give it all to that charity? And she's like, well, you make sure you tell everyone. Exactly. Like, so yeah, yeah. So you know, and again, so that meant for me that it's meant pride, I didn't quite like, pride, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah it's that sort of um, yeah, sort of. It's not genuine sort of stuff, is it? She's not being sort of compassionate for the sake of being no. compassionate. She's being compassionate for the sake of getting being being renowned and having a name out there and people seeing <laughs> her as you know a, a nice person. So that was different. And so again, that that was a reason why I didn't quite buy into her. So I don't think that any of them would have had any trouble killing her off in the second film. No. <laughs> I no. don't think that. And, and, <laughs> I think they'd have all been quite happy to do it. I love in the 1955 version, there was just some great little clever comedy moments, clever like dialogue. And was it when she's talking about her, um, she says, oh, come and meet, come and meet General Gordon. And he's like, what? And it's like, it's the birds, isn't it? It's her parrot. And she's like, he belonged to my husband. I used to have four. And he went, husbands? <laughs> and there's a few bits like that where they just, she says something. And, and I mean, she's just brilliant. Like you say, she is like really homely sort of woman, isn't she? And she's yep. just sort of dotty and. Yeah. And, and that may be. Really pleasant and just chats away. That may be and, a sort um, of British thing that we relate to that sort of person more than we would necessarily the, the American character in the second film, because we're English. I mean, you know, British, you're, you know, so it may be a bit of that, I guess. Um, and it, so if we were American and certainly came from like that sort of, uh, the, is it the deep South? Is I think it this, is Mississippi. You know, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we'd relate more to her then, wouldn't we? But obviously we relate to the old lady because there, there was a time when there were old ladies like that around, you know, another thing about another <laughs> yeah. fact about the film is that, uh, Katie Johnson as Louisa Wilberforce, she was 72 when they made the film. And so the producers said, Oh, look, she's too old. I don't, I don't think she should be in it. And they found a younger actress who passed away before they got to film it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so they went to her, back to her again. That's crazy. But she's just so, but so such a dear old dear. I mean, I love the scene where she's just found out about the money and then her friends all turn up. 
and it just works so well just they're all dithering about and they're almost like wind up women aren't they just (laughs) pottering in it reminded me of monty python like they (laughs) they always do like the old women but just the looks on all the other actors' faces, like Herbert Lom and uh, Peter Sellers and that, just how they're reacting around yeah, these women. Really, really nice little subtle touches, isn't it? They're playing yeah. it. They're just playing the part so well. And I, I love the scene. Peter Sellers has gone out somewhere, hasn't he? And when he comes back, and then she puts them all into the drawing room and uh, Alec Guinness is playing the piano and all the other chaps... <laughs> it's all hunched over. All, <coughs> all the other chaps are sat in amongst all these old women and they've all got this haunted look on their face like how is this happening <laughs> why are we here and peter sellers just walks in and he's like holding his hands out to say what and then he just gets just, like tea in one hand and cake in the other <laughs> yeah he just he just gets handed tea and cake <laughs> very very oh, british it's just great it's just great <laughs> And that's again, that's the thing, you know, the subtlety in the in 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 these. I mean, particularly Peter Sellers. I mean, when you think about the, some of the characters that Peter Sellers develops into later on in his career, yeah. you know, Inspector Clouseau and those sorts of things, those really high levels of comedy. You know, he was almost sort of. I know it was an early film, so he, he wouldn't have had the same sort of license to be ridiculous and those sorts of things. But he, he was almost kind of like almost invisible in some ways you know his yeah. character was like quite quiet and he's more down not down to earth he's like he just played the character that he was wasn't he he was just yeah, young just this, yeah, young the younger guy and yeah just... exactly and 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 you know i loved as well one of the things i loved about it was the way that they had that sort of respectful element all of them were respectful yeah, to yeah. Um, Miss Wilberforce and that's what brought into the idea that none of them you know they didn't want to kill her they couldn't kill her they, they just no. couldn't bring themselves to do it could they because she's just a nice old lady and you know they all had that sort of I guess even though they're criminals they all had a sort of element of upbringing of respect weirdly even though they were using her to access all that money and stuff you know yeah but they would sort of like they never thought they'd have to kill her they exactly. thought she'd just be naive and it would be whereas like in the the Coen Brothers films they have to show that flashback of Damon Wayans mum yes to make like this is why he can't kill her because yeah. everyone would be thinking well, why can't he just shoot her yeah exactly he's going around <laughs> like a gangster day, the whole time everyone with his gun. kills everyone in <laughs> films now so it's yeah and and i think that was the thing i think as well that's the their trade was theft yeah they weren't into the killing aspect of it and it, it was like a profession wasn't it and they had yeah they sort of had rules of the profession back then whereas yeah with the second one you sort of think well did they though because we know the general will kill um you know and and again uh Gawain looks like he'd kill it just didn't really quite feel the same the characters just didn't work the same way that i didn't invest in any of them in the same way that i did the first no film. i didn't i when it first started the second film i quite enjoyed the opening scene with the the woman in the police station and i like that yeah sort of deep south feel to it yep and the music and, in the second film you know again it's 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 very much like brother um it's that sort of deep south music and, and gospel and things and that runs through the whole film i love that sort of music but then so. as the film sort of went on it just sort of made less sense yeah the jokes wore thin yeah tom hanks was irritating by the end of it. it's like oh i don't want him to say anything else yeah you know? and um it's just lump too was much. just lump was just too stupid yeah I think there was only one scene, there was only one bit that I laughed out loud at, and it's where... Hang on, hang on. Did you guffaw? Uh, No, I didn't. I ruffled. (laughs) 
It's just as he's trying to put the the women in the car to get rid of them because they're going to blow that yeah, up. Yeah. You see uh, J.K. Simmons being like all practical and telling them everything that they should know about dynamite. And, you know, and now, you know, these are separated. So they're, you know, they're completely inert. I could hit it with this hammer. <laughs> and you just, it cuts away. And you just see the, the house sort of lift and smoke just rise off it. That was the only bit in the film where I actually thought I actually laughed. I think, yeah, I, I actually that bit. It was it was after that for me where the cat takes his finger and <laughs> and then the bit that got me and I could see it coming a mile off and I think that's why I, I I sort of found it so funny was when they were looking at the map and he's got his hand bandaged <laughs> and I just knew he was going to point using his non his, you know his missing finger to point on the map and i just knew it was coming and when he puts his hand out his bandaged hand over the sort of hovers it over the map and says well if we go down here you know it just that just made me laugh it was brilliant and that, so that was the that was the funniest bit in the film i think for me yeah the, the second film the, the later film coen brothers one when she discovers the money and and that it that was all down to the ibs joke again wasn't it and him having to run back and the the explosive not going off and all of those things yeah whereas with the first one it's it's one round isn't it just literally gets that it's caught in the door and they're like yeah. well, knock they're on like, the door then he's yeah, like just, oh, just pull it and it you know and you just feel the tension all and again that's all scuffly getting in the car scuffling around getting the, hurry up come on quick yeah yeah that whole scene was so much better done in the first film yeah bought yeah. into that tension of like oh my god they're gonna get away they're not gonna get away oh look they were just about to go they were that close yeah and you never yeah. feel in the second film like they were ever that close to getting away no it. it was sort of doomed from the start was it? yeah yeah absolutely. because of who they all were yeah and i guess the other thing what i, I guess look just looking at the time what we need to talk about is the, is, is the um is the way that they all bite the dust <laughs> at, the, yeah. at the end because you know and for me that was where the film got really interesting we've got to take take this old lady out we'll draw the straws and um it's is it the colonel that does it has to do it first i think it is isn't it and he, he basically he's going to escape isn't he and that's right because uh, then you sort of see he's a he's a real double crossing double crosser so he's the first one to get dumped over the bridge with the steam train that's it. I must say, I do love the cinematography in the Coen Brothers film, and I love the shot where they're looking over the bridge, and they're dropping them all into the yeah. Do you know what boat I, as it's going through on to Rubbish Island or whatever? Yeah, it is. that's nicely done. But the bit I laughed at there was when um, it they go to throw um, J.K. Simmons with Garth Pancake. So he's the next one. He gets he's trying to escape with the money, isn't he? Yeah, him and and and, and uh, Mountain Girl. And so he gets caught. So then the next scene cuts to them holding his hairy legs with his boots on. And then when they drop it, the body goes down. You see it drop into the thing. And then they turn around and say, now let's go and get Garth's body. So it turns out that the legs were <laughs> belong to Mountain Girl. Yeah, really big, sort of muscly, hairy legs. And I just thought that's brilliant. Really well done. Um, so there were some nice little bits in it. But uh, yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't match up in, in the same way. So if I was going to recommend one of those to anyone, it would, without a shadow of a doubt, be the first one. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it just, it's just a classic piece of film, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I can't believe you've not seen it before then. No, I don't know. My mother never recommended it to me. <laughs> and another Ealing comedy film of, I really love is um, Kind Hearts and Coronets. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't think I've seen that one either. No. Uh, it's Alec Guinness again, and he plays like... There's basically some bloke finds out that he's 
distant related to this like really aristocratic family mm. and if they was to all die he'd inherit the money mm. so he starts plotting their death and alec guinness basically plays every member of that family and uh, like men women elderly all these characters it's just absolute gold and what's it called trying kind hearts and coronets mm. and yeah this bloke is trying to kill them off one by one to get the money that's a really good maybe one. that's one we'll watch at some point of the obscure yeah, music definitely. they're just some really clever little stories and just alec guinness is great i mean peter sellers would go on later to play multiple characters in films as yeah well. again inspired Strange. no doubt by yeah alec guinness so the deaths anyway so one round danny green and Peter Sellers fall out, don't they? Yeah. They're arguing over the killing the old lady, aren't they? Because doesn't isn't it then that one round sort of says no one else is going to kill her? Yeah, I'm staying with Mum. Yeah, that's it. He kind of turns, <laughs> doesn't he? He goes, oh, I can't have this, and yeah. he chases him round the corner with a plank. And then there's a fud. <laughs> he smashes the fence up and everything. Doesn't he running through the fence? Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> then, then there's a, then there's because there's, he does, doesn't he? he she locks the door and then she goes out the room and he just puts his hand out and breaks the door open. And there's also that really good bit where he's trying to get the bird and he stands in the chair. Oh, he stands on the chair. <laughs> just... I feel like I can't remember enough of this film because I've watched the Coen's one since. Yes, yeah. He's sort of blocking what I can remember of it. Is it quite frustrating? Yeah, it is. But, I mean, you know, so it rolls on, doesn't it? They've got their suitcases full of money. Bit by bit, they're getting killed off rather than killing her off, which was the plan in the first place. And it, it becomes that thing, doesn't it, where, you know, symbolically each one goes over the bridge. Yeah. As they do in the second film as well. And that, that does work really well in the second film with the bodies dropping them way down and flump, hitting the garbage. Yeah. I, I actually thought that the garbage idea was a, was a slightly better way of seeing them off than the train. Yeah, because they're just getting dumped on that island and no one's going to really yeah, be there. Yeah, and it kind of... It, yeah. The way that they set that up at the start of the film in the second one, the island had its symbolism right from the start. In, you know, that what's this... You know, the trash island and the boat going out to it, dumping off the trash, and, and inevitably they all end up as trash. But I, I still thought that the, the way that they wrote them they, they writ them... they killed them off in the first one was better as well. Um, because they... It sort of went... Did because Louis kills one round, doesn't he? Doesn't one round get the gun and he goes to shoot him, but he's got the safety cap on. But he doesn't shoot himself, does he? Like Lom does in the second one. No, I can't quite remember, but it, it does end up with um, Alec Guinness and uh, Louis under the bridge, doesn't it? Yeah, fighting and shooting at each yeah. other, and um, and then so Louis Louis dies, falls onto the train, and Alec Guinness is like yeah i've won it's all mine and then yeah. he and then the the, the signal the signal changes hits him across the head <laughs> and i thought again that worked better than the second one where it was the crow landing on the gargoyle yeah and then the Even gargoyle though- falling off at an angle at a jaunty angle flying across and landing <laughs> on his head you know it's all a bit like that <laughs> yeah a bit silly bit silly bit silly really wasn't it yeah what we didn't talk about um was uh the picture on the wall of her husband. Oh, Ofa. Ofa? Ofa. And it was Ofa. a cu- couple of sort of attempted jokes around him. Because um, I think the picture, like the face that he had anyway, was sort of so, like, he's looking stern but important. Yeah. But, yeah. And without having to change the picture, it worked 
like early on in the film when they look yeah it could have been judgmental and then it goes a bit too extreme doesn't it where it's like oh yeah ooh. <laughs> he's pulling faces yeah all these different faces <laughs> yeah yeah the initial face it could have been perceived to be cast in any expression yes yeah. relevant expression so it, it kind of without could have been, having to depending change. on the conversation it could have been judgmental but then at the same time it could have been an approval look couldn't it it could have been approving yeah. the, the conversation because he just kind of had that sort of mm. going on yeah it was a it is a good painting and it is he is like the third character in that room when yeah it's the scenes between tom hanks and her yeah and just that photo on the wall yeah it was a good touch so, like, yeah, like I say, it, it, it is a film that I could completely understand the Cohen brothers making, but yeah, it just didn't really work for me as a as a Cohen brothers film no. or a remake of a good film. So, yeah, thanks again, Robin, for joining us. Yeah, been another another good, good, good recommendation. Yeah, thank you for that one because um, I did really enjoy it and I hadn't seen it before, so. Uh cool there's a bonus all right so thanks everyone for listening and uh we'll see you all again soon cheers cheers